0: A preacher, one Sunday morning, standing before his congregation, began his message by saying, I have so much to say, I don't know where to start. To which a comment from someone in the pew in the congregation said, Why don't you stop? start somewhere near the end? I kind of had that feeling uh, as I was asked to preach uh, and to fill the pulpit this Sunday, Palm Sunday. And a man of my age, it's tough to remember them all. But I believe that of the last five years, I have preached at least three and maybe four of the Palm Sundays. So you know what new <laughs> uh do i have uh to uh to share with you and the lord uh laid it on my heart to uh to start not near the end <laughs> but to start after palm sunday we know the story of the triumphal entry into jerusalem and and uh, and how jesus was exalted and uh, and the palm branches and and things were were uh, uh, laid in his path as as he entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey and all of the great things that uh, that was in which he was exalted and a portion of that was read earlier but think about that as we look beyond palm sunday if you were Jesus and you had recently raised Lazarus from the dead and then had been, had welcomed and was welcomed by the throngs of people in Jerusalem, how would you have spent your next day or two? I don't know about you, but I probably would have spent the next couple of days reliving the rush of those experiences, you know, we uh I think we could find ourselves saying something like, did you see the look on the faces of those Pharisees? Could you believe how many people were on the road? Did, did you hear what the one lady shouted? Did you see that child uh, that came to greet me? Did you see the tears in the eyes of that man? We hate... To admit it, but I think that we would have wanted to relive that moment for as long as we could. And of course, this tendency is the very thing I think that hinders us in our Christian growth. We spend our lives reliving past uh, victories and soon grow stagnant in our faith. Beware, folks. All our conversations seem to drift back to what happened years ago. But let's look beyond Palm Sunday to our text this morning in John chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said... We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Now here's the key. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while, the, while a man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there uh, and heard it said it it had thundered. And others said that an angel had spoken to him. Catch the story. The setting is soon after the triumphal entry. Possibly uh, this was the next day, a Monday, perhaps It was after Jesus had gone into the temple and cast out the money changers from the courts of the Gentiles. Jesus was was at the height of his popularity. Anticipation was in the air. Everyone could feel that something was going to happen. And as our text indicates, we are told that some Greeks, some non-Jewish men wanted to Wanted to meet Jesus. And these men were, <clears throat> were most likely, uh, uh, God-fearing, God-fearing people who, who, which means that they were interested, of course, in the Jewish faith. And in our text, it says that they come up to worship at the feast of the Passover. Perhaps uh, they turned to Philip because of his Greek name, them being Greeks. And uh, the fact that uh, Philip also was from Bethsaida, uh, an area that was known for more Greek culture. And these men wanted to see Jesus. Have, uh, have you ever asked someone, hey, could you introduce me to, to so-and-so? Maybe you have asked someone to introduce you to a musician or maybe to a writer or to an athlete or to or to a uh, politician or to a pastor. I thought that was funnier than what it was. (laughs) Or or uh, or some other person of influence. You, you, You get the idea. But perhaps. It was someone you find yourself uh, strangely attracted to. or And when, you, when we ask for such an introduction, we are hoping to make a connection with that particular person. To perhaps gain a personal audience. And by being close to someone significant, it tends to help us feel more significant ourselves. It's possible that this was what the Greeks were looking for. Maybe they wanted to enter, extend an invitation for Jesus to come and speak in their hometown. Or maybe they saw the growing hatred of the Jewish leaders toward Jesus and thought they might offer him an escape. Or maybe they wanted a chance to ask Jesus their questions about the life he talked about. We just don't know what they wanted. It just says they wanted to meet him. Philip probably wasn't too sure about whether he should bring these men to Jesus or not. Jesus uh, was a busy guy, after all. It It was Jesus who told the disciples that his job was primarily to go to the house of Israel. So Philip went and talked to Andrew, and after talking it over, they decided to bring the request to Jesus. And when Jesus, what Jesus says next seems to have absolutely nothing to do with the request of the Greeks. Notice in verse beginning at 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. If it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, uh, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So what's going on here? Is Jesus saying, I don't have time to meet you, these guys? Or is he saying, the very fact that the Gentiles are coming to me indicates the fulfillment of my mission is at hand. Jesus began his life, remember, with Gentiles coming to see him. The wise men, you remember? The Magi? And now perhaps the visit of these Greeks signaled the end of his life. It also possible that in the request of the Gentiles, Jesus is seeing the fulfillment of his purpose in life. Because his goal was to draw all men, Jews and Greeks, you know, to salvation. And now the Gentiles were seeking the life that he had to give. Perhaps Jesus was saying, if you want to really, really see me, hang around for a few days, because then you will really see who I am. I don't know for sure what Jesus was thinking. I don't know if the Gentiles ever got to meet him. But however, what we do learn is that Jesus was looking beyond the present circumstances, you know, to something that was greater. I see three lessons in Jesus' words and His actions beyond Palm Sunday. First lesson is that Jesus lived beyond the moment. The praises of the crowd is is intoxicating. It is uh, incredible to me that Jesus was was not at all distracted by the hoopla that surrounding his entry into Jerusalem. Jesus knew exactly why he was there. His mission was clear in his mind. Get this folks, he was looking beyond the crowds to the cross. Do you, do you see how different this is from our lives? Do you ever feel like life is out of control? That there is so many things going on, so many responsibilities to fulfill, so many experiences to have that we sometimes feel that we have That we are being uh, helplessly swept through life by by a current that is beyond our control. There is this constant need to do as much as we can lest we miss something. We are so busy living for the moment that we cannot see beyond today. And this happens to people of faith as well. We have meetings to attend. We have jobs to do. We have information to master. We have uh, lessons to absorb. We have so much more. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you do. I find yourself at times overwhelmed by the by the things I need, you need to read, the volumes of material that... That you need to uh, to master or the myriads of needs that uh, that are, need to be met for others. We just feel piled on. And as you discuss spiritual things with people around you, you find that there are people from all kinds of backgrounds and, and, and beliefs. And we find ourselves torn. We find ourselves confused. We find ourselves exhausted. And we end up with some kind of hybrid God that we sense isn't real, but it's all we have. I think Jesus knew what his mission was. His purpose was to give his life as a sacrifice for our redemption. A sacrifice for sin. He knew that this, his job was an act that would change the world. And nothing, absolutely nothing, was going to distract him. Not even the crowds cheering for him. But I ask you this morning, what is our thing? What is it that we are supposed to be doing? There's a big... Uh, there's. That's a pretty big question, don't you think? Southside, as we have been testifying, exists to glorify God by making and maturing biblical disciples. It's not only the existence, the purpose for Southside, but it's also the purpose for you and I as individual believers. The Bible tells us that we are to love The Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and we are also, we are also to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. And of course how, how this plays out in your life and mine may be entirely different. But I hope you don't miss the important point. Our chief goal in life is not to make a name for ourselves. It is not to amass more stuff than the other guy. It is not to be involved in more stuff than others. It is not to, to run faster, you know, than the other guys. It is it is it is not to build the largest religious organization. Our goal is to honor and to love the Lord and to live in accordance. With his truth. The second lesson I see. From Jesus' words and actions. Is that obedience. Is the way. To fulfillment. When we we hear about living for the glory of God. It doesn't probably doesn't. Or I should say it does sound a little bit boring doesn't it. We think it means having to be religious clones that are against everything enjoyable in life. But Jesus had a different view, didn't he? He looked at his death and said that it was the time when he would be glorified. Obedience to God's direction is not a hindrance in life. It is a doorway to life. I like that. didn't originate from me. I read it, but I like it. Get that obedience to God's direction is not a hindrance to life. It is a doorway to life. I should have put that down in the outline. When we are young, our parents told us that we should save our money for a rainy day. They told us that a willingness to sacrifice now would result in a greater blessing later. If we passed on buying candy now, we would be able to buy a bicycle later. If we resisted the urge to buy fancy things now, we would be able to afford a car when it came time to drive. If we were willing to be content with what we had, we would have the, the resources to buy the home that we've always wanted. If if we were careful in our spending now, we would be able to enjoy our retirement later. The goal was simple, wasn't it? Keep in mind the big picture. Present labor and effort were not a burden. It was an investment. Paul expresses this idea when he said, For me to live is Christ, to die and gain. And he goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Folks, living for the Lord is not a burden to bear. It is the doorway to the life that we truly desire, isn't it? Sure, reading the Bible, prayer, worship, study, and service doesn't seem to be a a desirable course for our lives. But when we understand that these things lead to intimacy with God, true peace, and otherworldly joy, and ultimately, life eternal, then... uh, The price tag doesn't seem to be too steep at all, does it? And the third lesson is really, or I should say, as we say today, is a reality check. And that is the way of obedience requires sacrifice. If you read advertisements or watch commercials, then you will see all kinds of things that are that are marked as uh, as uh, shortcuts to a better life there are pills to help you lose weight there are machines that can allow you to get in shape with just five with just a 5 minute workout there are groups that will send you tasty meals that will allow you to eat right there are books to teach you shortcuts in investing Courses to to teach you how to make money in real estate. And the list goes on and on. The idea is simple. There is an easier way. But I think Jesus seems to say that there is no shortcuts to serving the Lord. It is an all or nothing proposition. Proposition. That you must follow him with everything you have, or you will not really follow him at all. Verses 24 and 26 of our text. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a simple seed. If it, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. As I understand it, there are three different uses for the kernel of wheat. It can be stored and it can be sold on the market. It can be ground up and eaten. Or it can be buried in the ground to await a future harvest. And the farmer takes some of these kernels and buries them in the ground. And they put aside the present use they could make of their profits and they invest in a future, a future day. And so it will be with our human lives. We cannot consume our lives in our own present gratification and profit. Or, uh, you know, we can't do that. Or, nor can we put aside the present enjoyments and profits. You know, we can do that and devote ourselves to live to the, to the Lord in the confident of a great harvest. For Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. And this taking up uh, of our cross is not just bearing under the you know our burdens. It is a willingness to follow Jesus all the way, all the way. To deny ourselves means to put God's desire above ourselves. This means that there will be times when doing what God wants won't be a convenient option. At times, it will call us to sacrifice some other things that we might not like to do. We are to do so because you and I see the bigger picture. We understand that the present sacrifice is an investment in a future blessing. You know, what would have happened if Jesus had clung to the spotlight of the moment? What if he had given in to the city crowd cries of the of the uh, of the uh, city group, the crowds and sought for himself an earthly kingdom? No doubt, Jesus may have enjoyed a period of status in the world, but we would be lost forever. Jesus made the impact in the world that that he did because he was willing to follow the Lord's plans. He was willing to take the road less traveled. And because of this fact, as we read in our text, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here it is, folks. Every day, moment by moment, We are left with a decision. Do I live for the moment? Or do I invest in the future harvest? I would like to to pry just a little bit. And ask you that is it possible that there is something that God wants you to do right now? Maybe he wants you to care for someone who is hurting even though... It will be inconvenient. Maybe he wants you to teach a class even though it is outside your comfort zone. Maybe he is asking you to serve in a ministry in some capacity that it will involve some of your precious free time. Perhaps God is asking you to get free of some commitments so that you can be committed to what is better. Perhaps God is simply asking you to make time for Him in daily study of the Bible, daily prayer, and weekly worship. Oh yeah, we all, you all have other things to do. But the question is, do you really have better things to do? There is no promise that following the way of Christ will be easy. Only, you know, only the promise that it will be worth it all in the end. So we are left with a choice. Do we spend our life on the, pre- on the present or do we invest it in the future? Do we bask in the moment Or do we keep focused on a greater goal? Praise God, Jesus made his choice. Made his choice well. And now, we must make our choice. Let's pray. God, please, please help us. In making wise choices. In choosing the better. In choosing what will matter for eternity. Both for our lives and for the lives of others. Thank you for Jesus' example. And help us in following that example. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.